Welcome to the Jerusalem Lights Podcast with Rabbi Chaim Richman, whose goal is Torah for everyone. I'm your co-host, Jim Long, and now, Rabbi Chaim Richman. Shalom and Moadim L'Simcha Chag Sameach. Greetings and salutations for the happiest Sukkot. Ah, Chag Sameach, or as we like to say now, Hug Sameach. Hug Sameach in the hug of the Sukkah. Yeah, sitting in so, our Sukkah. I'm, I'm here in Arkansas, surrounded by my little... My um, humble little bamboo hut that we call our Arkansukah. You're sitting in your in your Arkansukah, uh-huh. in uh, Arkansas, northwest right. Arkansas to be precise, and I'm sitting in my sukkah in Jerusalem, and we are reaching out across the expanse, and um, uh, we are connected in the. It's almost like the sages tell us in the midrash that it, that in the future rectified world, all of Israel will sit in one sukkah. Right. Yeah. And now, virtually, we are we are practically in the same sukkah. Yeah, we we uh, had our first meal, uh, which was a simple turkey wrap. Okay, and my my lovely wife said, uh, you know, I reminded her that it's also a harvest festival. That that in Israel, in antiquity, and as as we return to those ways, uh, it will become even more so. And she said, well, guess what? She said the tomatoes in your turkey wrap are from our own garden. So it, it, we, we got to incorporate a little harvest-type festival in our, our first meal. And, of course, the turkeys in northwest Arkansas that are dreading Thanksgiving Day uh, <laughs> had a, pre- a preview with their tur- turkey wrap of Sukkot. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So, so Jim, uh, the amazing thing that is that I have been following some of your posts, and I see that you're getting a lot of visitors to your sukkah there. And, and, and so you're, you're a sukkah. Um, is has become like a beacon for people that are looking, not, not only that, but Jews and Gentiles that are looking for a, su- a sukkah in that area of the world are flocking so, to your spiritual center of, of Northwest Arkansas. Well, I, the, the most amazing email was from a, a, a lady named Mia in Hot Springs, which is about two hours south of us. And uh, she has asked to come up and, and uh, spend some time with us in our sukkah. And that'll be Thursday. So it's been a, it's been a different year for us. Well, it's been a different year for everybody. And for us as well. And I, I wish I had visitors in my sukkah because here we have this uh, very uh, bizarre kind of um, circumstance where, you know, um, because of the um, severe lockdown and the government's um, concern with the, the pandemic, uh, we have some harsh regulations in place over the festival that we're not allowed to um, have company. We're not allowed to have any guests in the sukkah. We're supposed to only be dining with our nuclear family, whoever lives in the same house. And uh, in fact, the the government said that anyone found. I'm going to try to say all of this without cracking up. Not God forbid, out of disrespect for the government of Israel's righteous, righteous and and well placed concern for. Uh, not spreading the pandemic, but I'll explain to you why I find it so humorous. But so they made this uh, this edict that there's a fine for 500 shekel, which is about 138 dollars, to be levied on any person to be found in a sukkah that's not their own. And 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 then and then uh, we asked oh. um, the the police, um, what about the owner of the sukkah? 
is he also to be fined? You know, because he could he could basically play dumb and say like I didn't I didn't invite these people. They came into my sukkah. It was dark. I didn't see them. They tied me up, or something like that. And the police answered, "Well, that will be up to the discretion of the officer to decide what's 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 going on in, in each and every sukkah." Mm-hmm. But the point of all of this, of course, that, that's so remarkable is that one of the most basic underpinnings and values uh, and principles of Sukkot is to have company, is to entertain guests in the Sukkot, to entertain physical guests. In fact, your, the Zohar makes it very clear that the, that the top priority is to find poor people. Uh, who right. uh, who who don't have means and to and to have them as your guests in the sukkah and then of course then there's this idea of the supernal guests which I've been actually broadcasting from our sukkah every day I don't know if you've been watching but we've been making a very short little presentation just a moment or so every day about the visitor in the sukkah of for that day the seven faithful shepherds of Israel that represent the seven supernal divine attributes who come and visit us in the sukkah Abraham Isaac and Jacob and uh, Moshe and Aaron and Yosef and David, and they only come, according to the mystic sages, if you have a real physical guest, then they also come. And why they come during Sukkot, of course, is just this amazing idea that we are, we are, tr- we are working hard internally to try to make a real soul-level acquisition of these attributes during, during this formative week of Sukkot. But anyway, so it's all very, very... Um, different and and somewhat bizarre you know to be told that you can't have company uh, on a festival that is that is so about having company in the sukkah and it's it's just it's been um uh, awkward and painful and um and and I won't say publicly now to all my listeners that I'm a scofflaw and trying to find ways to circumvent this important law and that I've been secretly inviting people in the dead of night to come into the sukkah to make a blessing in, in my sukkah over a cup of tea and a piece of cake to be able to thank Hashem for the mitzvah of sitting in the sukkah. But we're we're doing our best, Jim. You know, I've you always know. been I've always been against the stream. You know that. Yeah, of course. Well, that's a, that, what, did, that's what, did, why. what did Dylan say? We don't we don't look for trouble. Trouble trouble always seems to find us. Yeah, I can see I can see the 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 policeman visiting your 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 suka and saying, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get let you off with a warning this time," you know, and, and getting back in his vehicle, whatever. But I would urge our listeners in in Israel, if you do get a fine and you do get ticketed, take that ticket and frame it because in the future. You're going to be able to tell your family members, this is a ticket I got for having guests in my suka. And they'll look at you like, what? What are you talking about? That would never happen in, in Israel. But anyway, despite that, it, it is, we are, I have to say, thank God that we're basking in the glow of this holiday. And I love reading the responses from people who I, I'm assuming have been motivated by our podcast to go out and actually build their first sukkah for the very first time. And I have received beautiful inquiries from people asking details about how to build a sukkah and people who have posted photographs of their sukkot. And truly, it is a a wonderful thing because as we have been emphasizing, this is the time of our joy. It's the time of our joy because we are... um, Starting off the new year with a, with a clean slate, we're beginning a new year. We are cleansed from the whole process of uh, of repentance. So everything that's been we've been working on for so long now, Jim, the whole month of Elul and Rosh Hashanah and making Hashem king and the days of repentance and Yom Kippurim and and now these 
these wonderful commandments that Hashem has given us to fulfill now, sitting in the sukkah, which is like the highest experience in the world, and just sitting in that divine embrace of the Shekhinah, and uh, we are armed with these weapons of peace, the four species, the lulav, the palm frond, and the etrog, the citron, the myrtle leaves, and the willow leaves, and the four species that Hashem commands us to take to worship, to make the blessing over in the festive Hallel during these days, which of course are representative of the unity of our people, because this whole idea that the you know, the etrog has a good taste and a good smell, and the lulav, mm -hmm. which represents the date fruit, has a taste, but it doesn't have a smell, and the myrtle has a smell, but it doesn't have a taste, and the willow doesn't have either. And it represents different types of people. Some people do good deeds, but they don't study. Some people study, but they don't do good deeds. Some people, uh, yeah. And then the, and then there's some people, like, that are represented by the willow leaves that have neither fragrance nor taste, meaning, meaning what? Meaning that they are not so motivated, but the idea is rather than looking down on anyone or judging anyone, God forbid, we, the most precious thing in Hashem's eyes is unity. And so yes. we clasp all four species together and, and we clasp the, the three, the lulav, the, etro, the lulav, the, the hadas and the aravak next to the etro, which represents the heart. And we hold it up, up to our hearts and we dance and sing and praise Hashem and it's like a, it's like a flag of victory, victory over the Sahara, victory over the accusations that are made against us, victory over the din, as it were. And it's all sweetness. And it's and the thing about Sukkot is, it's it's like three Ps. It's a time of prophecy. It's a time of prayer, and it's a time of peace. It's all about peace, really, for the whole world. And it's all about the spirit of prophecy descending upon the whole world. And it's I would like to uh, ask you a, a question uh, before we get too far into the program. And I was doing some research, and you can respond far more eloquently than I can about this, but I'm, I'm sure some of our listeners want to know why a holiday is commemorating uh, a time when the Israelites made their exodus out of Egypt, and they, they spent... Uh, part of their journey, their initial journey, a few days out, they they built the booth, the little the little sukkot, the sukkahs, and they dwelt in them. And of course, it had something. It was connected to the clouds of glory. But the idea is that God said, "You, I want you to commemorate this time when you came out of Egypt." Uh, and I have to I have to preface this by telling you that there is an image that is burned in my mind. My first trip to Egypt in 1995, I made the mistake of taking a bus from Tel Aviv to Cairo. If you fly from uh, from Tel Aviv to Cairo, it's less than an hour. If you take a bus, it's 12 hours. But on the way, uh, it was nighttime. Everybody was asleep on the bus. We were we were inside Egypt now. At one point, we were the highway was was uh, uh, there were sand dunes on each side of the highway, and I woke up. Everybody was asleep, and I looked out, and and there in the full moon, I saw a sukkah off in the distance, a little booth someone had built there in Egypt, almost in the same area where the Israel, I don't know if someone had decided to go there and commemorate it and say, this is where, anyway, I'm getting out point, but I have to tell you that was, that was a stark image and it, it's haunted me since then in a, in a lovely way. But here's the question. Why do we celebrate uh, an event that happened in the first month on the Hebrew calendar in Nisan? 
Why do we celebrate it in the seventh month in Tishrei? It's an excellent and an oft-posed question. And basically, again, going back to Parshat Amor to Leviticus 23, we see that Hashem commands us in this month, actually, to uh, dwell in the sukkah for a week. Now, but you're saying if the Sukkot that we build, the booths, are actually in commemoration of the of the booths that were constructed by the children of Israel in their way stations in the in in the desert Exodus, why why is it not taking place in Nisan, which is the month of of the Exodus? And again, there's 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 two reasons really for the booths that we build now. One is in commemoration of those physical booths that were built. In, in the Exodus experience. And the other is that the children of Israel were also surrounded by clouds of glory, of Hashem's divine presence. And so the sukkah actually stands for both. But to, but to your question, so, so one answer, which is a fairly, a fairly um, a famous answer, is the idea that were we to build our booths in the month of Nisan, which of course is called the time of spring by Torah, the month of spring, so that would not be so um, praiseworthy, nor would it be even recognizable that the reason that we're building them is because of Hashem's commandment. Because a lot of people um, go out in the spring and build, uh, you know, a summer a summer home, a gazebo. Mm-hmm. They go out and they and they uh, enjoy the the, the the spring weather. So sure. it's a it's a nice time of year to to leave the house, but. When we build the sukkah in Tishrei, it's already cooling off. It's already, the weather's changing. It, it can even rain, and in some places it snows, and it's colder. So it's, it's obvious that we are not doing it um, because of physical comfort or pleasure, but we're doing it because Hashem commands it. But that's not really my best answer. My best answer is... Um, as we've been expressing all along consistently, that the, there is a, an inexorable bond between Sukkot and the whole experience of the Amim Noraim, the, the days of awe, the, the whole continuum from Elul through Rosh Hashanah and the days of repentance and Yom Kippurim, and then the four days in between, and then Sukkot. It, and it has to do with our... Um, cooling down period, as it were, from the, 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 the very um, almost traumatic experience of judgment, wherein we are now, you know, starting off a new year with a, with a clean slate, and it's this total catharsis of, of what we've been through now, and we are shaken, Jim, we're shaken, we're shaken by the din. The judgment. And I, yes, and yeah. I can be, and I can be rather... Um, nervous, you know, did I do it? Didn't I do it? Did I do a good job? Did Hashem forgive me? Didn't I, didn't he forgive me? Was I sincere in my repentance? And all of those kind of nagging questions, which you really shouldn't ask, but I, but I will ask them because I'm only a human being. And so, and so rather than, and so I'm saying, I'm saying, Jim, that the natural reaction of a person might be, I'm so afraid. I I just, I'm going to hide my face in shame and I'm going to run away from Hashem. I'm going to run away from Hashem. But instead we run into the sukkah and it's at, it's at open up your heart in the deepest way it's at hashem's invitation yeah. it's at hashem's invitation hashem is basically saying you know what don't go stay with me this whole week and just let's just get 
acquainted in, a, in the most intimate fashion, and I'm going to hold you tight in my arms, as it were, over this period of time. And that's why, and, and you know, I, I like to liken it to a, to a recuperation period, to if you want to call it an operating theater or you want to call it a recovery ward or, or even an intensive care unit. This week is so formative. It's, like, it's almost like everything that we accomplished on, on a spiritual level of, of realigning ourselves with, you know, accepting Hashem's sovereignty on Rosh Hashanah and coming clean with the tshuva and repentance and, and starting all over again on Yom Kippurim, it's not real yet. It's, it's kind of like it's not solid yet. It's not stable yet. It's not completely actualized yet until this week when we are just totally in this realm of of um, of, of a new world that we're that we are creating this new reality with the power and the intensity of these beautiful and special mitzvot of sitting in the sukkah. Where every single moment we're sitting in the sukkah, we are wrapped in this divine light, and we are taking the four species and praising Hashem and when we leave the sukkah, on the last day of sukkah, there's a special prayer that we utter, where we ask Hashem that all of the all of the angels that we created through these beautiful mitzvot that we accomplished during this week, may they please accompany us back into the house and stay with us all year round, in, in that merit. And, and and again, the whole idea of the ushpizin, the, the guests that represent these midot, these attributes that we want to internalize through more hard, you know, soul work that we're doing this week. Th- this, this week is like we are actually preparing ourselves for, for two things, I would say, Jim, for the coming year. And on the deepest level, we're preparing ourselves for the next world. Because one of the, of the real themes presented by the beautiful metaphor of the transience, the, the apparent transience but the actual permanence of the sukkah as opposed to the apparent permanence of our solid house but which is actually transient one of the the major themes is this is not this is not it jim there's another world there's another world which has our name on it and we need to be prepared for that real world of being with hashem and this is kind of like a like a taste of that what's going on here um, over sukkot and 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 these are universal themes it's like we are building and on all this, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, um, you know, offer you as an answer to why now in Tishrei, as opposed to in Nisan, because th- this is the time of of the parallel universe creation, new creation. This is a new perspective of reality that we are basically um, creating now. But again, all of the holy sources of Torah teach us that above all this is a this is a time of unparalleled joy which of course was so you know um so so honed and so sharpened in the holy temple experience with the, with the festival of the water libation and the and the special ceremony of circling the altar every day and all of the celebrations that took place in the holy temple which was like a a tremendous um you know amplification of of this of this joy and it, it's all like a it's like in uh, the bottom line. It's like a, a celeb. It's like the opposite of what's going on now, where guests in your sukkah will be fined, and you know, like you have to. It's like uh, this tremendous damper that's being put on on the joy. It's the ultimate joy of Hashem. Is what Sukkot is really, really all about. It's the ultimate mm-hmm. celebration of the of the of the um, the 
the, the glimpse of reality of what our relationship with Hashem really is. And, I, and, and to, to end this thought, I, I want to share a thought with you that I, I shared with a special group of people in our Zoom class, which everybody's invited to um, yesterday, on this very idea. Okay, this very idea. This is one of the most beautiful teachings that I, that I can give over to you about what we've been through and what we're going through now. So the idea is we, we are all now balei tshuva, you know what a Baal Shuva is. A Baal Shuva is a, a Jew who returns to Torah. But, uh, but, but in the broader sense, in the yeah. broader sense, we, we are all commanded to be Balei Tshuva, which means a master of repentance, which means that we are so, supposed to all be born again, if you'll pardon me. We're supposed to be renewed and new people every day, but it's certainly now after Yom Kippurim. We are, we are new. We're all new. We are, we are, we, we are Balei Tshuva. So a Baal Teshuva, which is a person who has tasted sin, but has now left it completely with sincere remorse and is, and is, and is closer to Hashem than ever, he's a very driven personality. You know, he's, he's a very driven personality. So this is what the sages of the Midrash liken it, the, this thing that we're going through right now to. This is the metaphor. There's a palace. And the palace is surrounded by beautiful grounds, right? And nobody's allowed to be trespassing in the grounds of the palace. So there's a guy outside, and he's trespassing on the palace grounds. And so the king's soldiers, they, they catch him, and they seize him, and they grab him by the arms, and, and, he, and he goes for broke. He doesn't know what to do. So he says to them, unhand me. Don't you know who I am? I'm the king's son. So they're like, whoa, really? Is that so? And so they take him right into the palace and they take him right to the throne room and they're holding on to him tight. And they say, your majesty, cut this guy outside. He says, he's your son. The king looks at him says, do I know you? <laughs> uh, so you say you're my son. And the guy, he's like totally broken totally, totally afraid of being executed, right? He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. So he says to the, to, to the king, he just breaks down and he says, Your Majesty, I didn't know what to do. And so I'm just, I said to myself, I'm just going to come in and I'm going to throw myself on your mercy. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to throw myself on your mercy. And the Midrash concludes the story and says, instead of being annoyed the king's mercies were so churned up and he was so affected by this that he looks at him and he says to him that's how much you trusted me wow you know what you are my son you are my son so the idea is that the balchuva he will boldly go where no man has gone before he no one will keep him out of the presence of hashem not even hashem himself and he will risk it all to go to go and be in Hashem's presence. And that's, so the, so the Rambam says, what we do is, instead of running away from Hashem's presence, now at this time when that might be something that you would consider, like, I don't know how to deal with this brave new world after Yom Kippurim, right? And instead, we run into Hashem's presence. And that's really the secret of what's going on now. The whole process of Tishrei is that this is this is this is so intimate. 
It's love yeah. fest is really what it is. And it, and it is a time that's packed with these commandments that were armed with these, with these weapons of peace and unity that were ready to receive prophecy. And most importantly, we're all, we're all Bali Teshuva. And, and, and it's the, and the happiness that we are commanded in now, you know, where Hashem says both in Vayikra and also in Deuteronomy, you know, that you shall only be happy during this time. It's Hashem's happiness that, that is really what it's all about. And it's, it's inimitable what, what's going on here. It's a, it's a whole new world. And we're bringing all of this home now. We've been working so hard for so long from the time that the king was in the field. We're working so hard to deserve to be recreated, to deserve to be truly servants of Hashem. And we worked so hard to, to um, internalize that Hashem is king. And if Hashem is king, that means that I'm the subject. And maybe I've been off in my behavior and all, and all of the things that we've been through in all of this time. And, and, and Sukkot, it's like it's so many things at once. It's convalescing. It's making it real. It's bringing it home. It's like sealing it, sealing it completely. And that idea... Of um, of sealing it completely. I, I wanna I wanna expound on that if if I may. I don't want to take away your talk. talk oh, time. I, w- I was just gonna. I was only going to add that y- you talked about uh, Sukkot having and being in the Sukkah has a uh, prophetic aspect to it and a historical aspect. And I just wanted to add that in researching this question, the the thing that you allude to uh, seems to be also the fact that. Uh, you know, don't you feel like that everybody, because because it is so heavily linked to the building of the Mishkan and by virtue later the building of the temple, because it was because when Moses came down from the mountain after the the sin of the golden calf uh, on Yom Kippur, in the on, on Yom, Yom Kippur, I was about to say that on Yom Kippur, he also brings the the God has given him given. Uh, Moses to give to Israel the commandment of building the Mishkan, which of course even that word has the the root for dwelling in in the word. So there is this there is this aspect that it was on the first Yom Kippur, which was a, a response to the sin of the golden calf, and the response to the forgiveness was the building of the Mishkan. The Mishkan is a tabernacle. It is a it is a a kind of glorified booth. That points to a future temple, and that also makes it appropriate to build this this little model of of the future uh, tabernacle and temple. And I feel you're like saying this that is like a parallel. You're saying to the this to is the- a, a wonderful parallel that that you've alluded to, and I feel like you know we've often talked about the feeling you get in in the the. And I'm wondering if this isn't God's way of telling all of us who build a sukkah and, and sitting in it with our friends, this is just a little a hint of what you're going to experience when there is a house of prayer for all nations and you gather in that that uh, that plaza, that that um, the the court of the of the nations. That that this is it's going to be that times ten in the future. And then in the future, future, future of the world of souls, mm-hmm. of what's called Olam Haba, the coming world, there's an idea, I'm sure you're familiar with it, about the sukkah of the Leviathan. The Leviathan is made from the skin. Of the Leviathan. giant creature. <laughs> right. And there's a meal, and they're going to they're gonna eat the, it'll be the, the will, they, will they eat the Leviathan? 
So or, it's funny that you that you mentioned that because again, and I, I was just going over this with with um, in our class that this is all a metaphor because that is a spiritual world, and there isn't any eating, and there isn't any yeah. sitting, and there isn't no any calorie counting. Right, there isn't any physical any physical parallel at all. But but the sages use these expressions to make it easier for a human being who's in a body to understand th- these kind of things. But it's it's totally. Um, the life force of a person who that is totally connected to Hashem at the at the root source, which is called the knot the knot of life. That is the the true experience of the reward of the world to come. But Jim, uh, as far as this whole parallel is concerned, on the Mishkan and the Tabernacle and the and all of and I, like I said, it's all also like about you know the transition between worlds. When you think about it, I mean we're all Sukkot. Yes, a, per, a person yes. is also a sukkah, the soul inside the body. This is also a transient, temporary home, and it's all—it's all the same idea, really. Yeah, yeah. So, so, well, so, can I was going to say before we too much time gets away, you are going to talk about because people probably won't be able to listen to us after that. Uh, I know that we want to talk about uh, uh, Hoshana Rabbah, yes, which is the final, final part of, yes. of Sukkot. So. So again, the, you know, and like you said, whoever is has the blessing of being able to sit in a, sit in a sukkah, you know, always says like it's just so special in here. It really is. You feel you feel Hashem's presence. You really do because it it is a, a special blessing that He gives at this time. Um, and so there, there's all these forces at work in our lives now, and you know, and the four species also. Those that have been blessed to take the four species know that that they are like a, a vehicle of bringing joy into the heart. That's really what they're all about. Um, and the thing is that that you know this this whole period is, is you know like again after after Yom Kippur and we start the, the year out fresh. One of the expressions that the sages use is that Hashem gives us these piles and piles of commandments to fulfill now. All these special commandments at this time of year. And again, I, I use this word formative because there's we're, we are we are actually like building an infrastructure during this this time. We are we are really like rooting Hashem's kingdom in, in the world over us now during this time. This whole experience of, of Sukkot. And then the last day of Sukkot, which actually is um, tomorrow night, Thursday night, begins because, of course, the Hebrew calendar, the, the day begins in the evening. So this coming Friday is the last day of Sukkot, which begins Thursday night. And it's called Hoshana Rabbah. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very special day. Hoshana Rabbah means a day of great saving, of great salvation. And it comes from the word Hosha, two words, Hoshana, which is sometimes translated in English as Hosanna. And Hoshana means basically, please save us. So all during Sukkot, in the time of the Holy Temple, there was a special, beautiful um, procession celebration that took place in the Holy Temple where the Kohanim and the people would encircle the, uh, with the altar, they would encircle the altar, march around the altar with their lulav and etrog, their four species, and they would say these beautiful prayers. And these prayers are exquisite, and they they are in the holiday high holiday prayer book of the Machzor of Sukkot. And they they're just again they're they're this transition between this world and the next world, and they're the whole kaleidoscope of history and the future. And because again, like we're, we're asking for everything in the world. Now we're asking Hashem for everything in the world during this time, special time of prayer and Hoshana Rabbah, which literally means a day of great 
Hoshana, of great salvation, of great save us, is because on that day, on the last day of Sukkot, the altar was encircled seven times. Seven times. Now today, without the Holy Temple in the meantime, the custom of all of Israel in the local synagogue is to, is to encircle the bima, the table upon which the Torah is read. And the Torahs are held on, held on, the, on the table, and everyone in the congregation marches around slowly around the, the table as if it was the altar in the temple, and they recite these beautiful prayers. The thing is, if you open up your heart in the deepest way, what I want to emphasize to you is that Hoshana Rabbah is a, maybe for many people an unsung day and a day that is not sufficiently appreciated what it's really all about. Because what it's really all about, it is the final sealing of judgment. The final sealing of judgment. In other words, as you know, as we intone on the Amim Noraim, on the high holidays, it was written on Rosh Hashanah and it was sealed on Yom Kippurim, but the actual final, final sealing, what's called in the mystical literature, the double sealing, the sealing within a sealing, that happens on Hoshana Rabbah night. Mm -hmm. And actually the way the mystic sages of Israel describe it is that that's the night, and this is exactly the expression, that's the night that the notes go out, meaning it was written, okay, and it was sealed, but then it is executed. In other words, there's a note, it's called a petik, that the din, the verdict, is written on for every person. And that's the night that the angels go out and they apply whatever the verdict is. That's the night that is determinational in the rest of the year because it is basically... The, the angels whose job it is is to is to actually apply and begin the process of actualization of applying the din they go out on that night but the thing is as you know because the mindset of torah the mindset of jewish people is very very positive and very very beautiful and everything is good jim everything is good so what i want to emphasize about hoshana rabbanai that is so exquisitely unspeakably beautiful is that it ain't over yet. Because if you blew it on Yom Kippur, because you're afraid that maybe you didn't have enough presence of mind, maybe I didn't do a good enough job, maybe I wasn't cognizant, we have that night to change the din. We can actually change the verdict on that night. This is beautiful customs on Hoshana Rabba night. First of all, there is a custom in all of Israel to stay up the whole night. To stay up the whole night and pray the morning service at dawn. Because this is the night that can change everything. This is the night that can, that can change Hashem's mind, as it were. We want to make a, we want to make a good impression. And the, and the custom on that night is there's two things that, that are, are done. One is to recite the entire book of Psalms. Because don't forget that the book of Psalms is written by King David. And the Ushbiz, the guest, the supernal guest, the presence in our sukkah on the last day of Sukkot on Hashan Rabbah, is David. And David, he leaves the other guest in, yes, right? Yes, and of course, David is Mashiach, the soul of Mashiach. So there's a lot of messianic tension and tautness on Hoshana Rabbah, and is the day of great salvation, the day of great sealing. So the two customs that night, when we stay up the whole night, one is to recite the entire book of Psalms, the other is to recite the entire book of Deuteronomy. 
because Deuteronomy itself is like a, it's called in Hebrew, chotam betoch chotam, a ceiling within a ceiling, a double ceiling on the, on the Torah. And also the book of Psalms has that quality. And basically the idea is that that is, that is a perfect night for, again, I'm sorry to beat it, <laughs> beat it to, to be what might be considered by this point a dead horse to, to bring it up again. But that's the night for Teshuva again. Mm-hmm. It is, the gate isn't closed yet. The gate is not closed yet. Hashem is giving us yet another chance. And it's so beautiful. And, and, and much of the, of the um, atmosphere in the synagogue and the, and the intonation of the prayers, the, the tunes and the, and the feeling, uh, and some of the prayers themselves on Hoshana Rava morning, they're kind of like Yom Kippur. Again, it's like a mini Yom Kippur, but the difference is it's like, it's a different mood altogether. It's exuberant. It's totally exuberant. And um, it is it is really um, this beautiful opportunity to to influence the final ceiling one more time. Um, and as you as you are stressing to people who may be tuning in for the first time, this is ceiling with an S. Yes, this that's, is, like is S E A L I N G. It's the final right. ceiling. It's the double ceiling of of the verdict um, on Hoshana Rabba night. Um, and it, it's exquisite, Jim. It's the, 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 the feeling of, of Hashem's compassion is so overwhelming. Um, my custom has always been to sit in the sukkah that night uh, because some people uh, gather in the synagogues to do these recitations. I've always liked to do it alone, kind of. Um, but this year, we all have to be in our sukkah anyway because they're not letting us come into the synagogues because yeah. of the pandemic. But anyway, so the thing is, um, for those that um, might have difficulty uh, staying up the whole night and for those that uh, might find it a daunting task to recite the entire book of Psalms, I say to them, just stay up a little bit even, an, a little effort, a few more minutes than you normally would, an extra hour. Make the effort of saying some Psalms, even a few, and some verses from Deuteronomy just to make that impression and to show Hashem that you that you are um, joyful and coming and coming into it with all your heart. And that you're running in, you're running in like that story about the fellow that was caught in the in the in the grounds of the palace. You know, you can't be kept out. You can't be kept out. You know, the overriding lesson from all of this, from these, from the ten days of awe, and the experience for for all of us of of uh, you know Yom Kippur and and the the sealing of our fates and being written in the book. And building the sukkah at the end of all this, it reinforces something that we we hope I hope everybody sees in the Torah all the time that has always been was always a huge revelation for a personal revelation. This is God has put us into this world in the physical realm because it's it's a realm of of action. We don't change. Uh, simply by sitting, I, I always talk about the the guru sitting in a cave in Tibet, who sits and has wonderful thoughts all day long. Sitting and thinking good things does not make a person a good person, and it doesn't change them. Action is what changes a person, and and this is what's so wonderful about going through the actions, all these actions you're describing, and and the and the ultimate action is that we build this this mini, I always like to characterize it as a mini mishkan, a mini tabernacle. And when you read the um, the description in the Torah of when the temple, the, the, the mishkan is built according to the plan, 
And that plan for all of us is uh, the plan or the mitzvot. This is how you build your your personal tabernacle yourself is you follow. For us, for non-Jews, it's the, it's the Sheva mitzvot. It's the seven laws. For the Jews, because you're a priesthood, it's the 613. We build this tabernacle, and in the, in the Torah, we, we, we see the building of the Mishkan. And then when it's done, God honors it, and he demonstrates to Israel that you did this right by coming down and inhabiting by dwelling in it. That's the that's the seal of approval. God says, you built it right, you've built it fit for my... And in a way, we have this sort of proxy experience of building this sort of mini Mishkan. And then if, it's, if we built it right, it's inhabitable. We can go inside it and we can spend this this time. Is that is that too far? It's uh, it's so on the mark. I I love everything that you said, and I think that in some ways you have capsulized the whole Torah on one foot because it's all about action. Now, the, the as we've said many times, the realm of thought is very powerful and very holy and very important. And and as contrary to many other so called religions, Torah teaches us that our action, our thoughts, do have weight, and they and they actually create worlds and they count and we are held responsible for our thoughts because our endeavors are divided into, into action and speech and thought, and they all create reality. But, but, but the real structure that we create is through action and it has to be tempered by the right kavanah, by the right thoughts. Everything that we do creates a force and 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 brings Hashem's presence into the world. In fact, our entire job, all of us, whether we're Jews or non-Jews, all of us who love Hashem, we have one Jew. We have we have one job, and that is to reveal Hashem's presence in the world through everything that we do. But it's all it's all about action. And, yeah, I, I didn't. I wasn't diminishing that aspect of our lives. I'm just saying that if it no, just the opposite, stays, you're, yeah, you're you're saying uh, you're right on what you're saying that that it, it, because because creation begins in the mind, you know the best things are created when we we build them mentally. We we think about them and you know God made us visual creatures so that but when it has we to translate into physical manifestation is what exactly is, as Hashem loves this world that this is the world where we make a difference and this is the world where 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 we are every, everything is about action. So there's a, a story about a guru I wanted to share with you. You might have heard it, but um, there's a guru that's sitting on a mountaintop somewhere, I don't know, snow-swept Tibet. Very, very famous guru. And everybody knows that it's worth it to be in his presence. And so people wait online and they, and they, they trek up this mountain miles to stand in front of the guru. And you're only allowed to say three words. You're only allowed to say three words, right? I feel a punchline coming. <laughs> so there's this, there's this long line of people that are in the, in, you know, like it's like it's like like Sherpas and everything, like they're risking their lives to get to see this guru, right? So there's this old Jewish lady, this little Jewish lady is online, and they're saying, "Are you sure you can do this? Are you sure you, you know? Are you sure you want to do this?" It's like it's it's very difficult physically and everything. She says, "Yeah, yeah." So she's this old Jewish lady, this little Jewish lady online to get there. And she's, she says, she, he, they say to him, you know, you only, don't forget, they say to her, you only have three words. And she says, oh, I know, I know. So she's waiting with all these other people to get to see this guru that's sitting up there in the mountains in the, somewhere in the Far East. And she's waiting also. So she finally gets a chance and everything like that. And she's panting. She treks up there and she's finally standing in front of the guru. And she looks at him and she says, Sheldon, come home. <laughs> 
three words. <laughs> oh, I love that. You know, I, I, I love that. So, so um, listen, go listen, ahead. I want to tell you one more thing, Jim. I want to tell you that, that after Hoshana Rabba, which is this incredibly beautiful, powerful, evocative, emotive, exquisite climax to, to Sukkot, right? Hoshana Rabba, the day of King David. Then that night, we leave the sukkah. Of course, in America, it's different because there's an extra day of the diaspora. So there's, there's two days, right? But in, in Israel, we, it's all in one day. We leave the sukkah and we celebrate a festival called Shmini Atzeret, which literally means the eighth day of solemn assembly, which actually is not Sukkot. It's a new festival. Mm-hmm. And Atzeret, which is translated here as, as um, assembly, it really comes from the word uh, Atzar, uh, uh, Otzer. It means to stop. It means to stay still. So it's like a full stop at a stop sign. Uh, so the idea is basically Hashem is saying to us, like, stay with me one more day. It's been so wonderful. Stay with me one more day. And in Israel, that's the same day as Simchat Torah. In the diaspora, it's Shminatzer, and the next day is Simchat Torah. And of course, that's the day that we finish reading the last Torah portion in the book of Devarim, Deuteronomy, beginning in chapter 33 of uh, Deuteronomy, which is... Vizota Bracha, and it's the final blessing that Moshe gave to all the tribes. And then in chapter 34, last chapter of Vizota Bracha, we read of Moshe's passing. So we finish reading the Torah. Every single person gets an aliyah to the Torah. And then we begin the Torah all over again that very day. We read just the first little section of Parshat Breshit, and the following Shabbat is Shabbat Breshit, the Shabbat where we read the whole first portion of Genesis. And this in itself, this whole idea of like every single year starting the, the Torah again. And of course, it, you know, as a Torah scholar and someone, someone who is so studious, every year we go deeper and deeper. Every year we find new levels of meaning. Every year it's like completely new. And, and this is a great secret, this whole renewal thing. But, you know, we, 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 the timing of how we begin reading the Torah again after having gone through the the Elul, uh, Tishrei, you know, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Tshuva, hiding in the sukkah, hiding in Hashem's presence, it's so amazing that now now is first when we're going to start reading the Torah again. And I like to point out that the last letter of the Torah in Parshat Vezot Bracha, you know, the last verse is... Um, last verse reads, and by all the strong hand and awesome power that Moshe performed before the eyes of all of Israel. In Hebrew, le'enei kol Yisrael, before the eyes of all of Israel. So the last letter... And the last word is Israel. So, but the last letter is Lamed. Yeah, Lamed, yeah. And what's the first letter of the Torah, when we, which we start the very same day, reading Breshit, is a bet. Mm-hmm. And so it's the continuation is Lamed bet is lev, which is the heart, because it's all yeah. about the heart. Wow. So that so so we the same day we connect the heart we go from the lama to the bet, and not only that but how does the, how does Brishit begin how does Genesis begin it's a big bet, mm-hmm. you know what the Sefer Torah looks like it's a large bet that begins the right. word Brishit, and bet open up your heart in the deepest way is buy it is a house a house yeah so now we're ready to go back into the buy it, mm-hmm. and now we begin reading. Brishit from the bayit with the heart all over again. Now we are finally ready to go back into the house. 
So first lovely. Of all, it, you know, it also shows it, it, it. It's obvious, I think, is it also shows because we're beginning over and we go back into the Torah. Is is the Torah doesn't actually end, and it it reinforces the the uh, the eternal uh, character of of existence. That that there is infinity. A, it's infinity. Infinity, exactly. It's the infinity symbol. It just is. It, it's continuous, and it's conti- and because we are continuously living these parshiots. They are they are the template of our lives, and I like to encourage people who are who are thinking about getting into Torah study that from from my own personal experience, Rabbi, and I've told you this a lot of times that that you know from my early uh, grasping as an eight year old kid and reaching for you know the family Bible, which is all we had when I was a kid, that my mom always kept in in her bookcase next to her Ellery, Ellery Queen mysteries. That was so. That was the biggest mystery of all, which was the Bible. And I would open it up, and it was such a mystery to me. But I was compelled to read it. And getting into Torah study answered one big prayer I had my whole life: "Is God, please explain this book to me." And the initial uh, foray into Torah study answered questions I'd had my whole life about the Bible and questions about existence, and literally answered them. It, within my first few weeks and months of study. But the wonderful thing that you're alluding to is, as we begin and renew the study this year, is that it will answer all these questions, and then it will create a whole host of brand new questions that that never stop. And And people would think that would be frustrating. It's not. If you love to learn, it it, it enriches your, the learning experience because the, the questions never go away. And that's one of the amazing things about the Torah experience that newcomers uh, have always expressed wonderment at. And those who have come and embraced the Torah from the nations, like the true Bali Tshuva of the Noahide movement, they're so amazed by the fact that they discover that questioning is encouraged. Yes. Because they come many times from disciplines uh, for example, within Christianity, where they are not encouraged at all to ask any questions, and they and suddenly they find that the hallmark of Torah study is when you're told something by your rabbi to say, "Are you sure?" Because I learned something else that doesn't make sense exactly. And what about this? And and I'm not so sure about that. And to ask questions and to delve deeper and deeper, and that attribute, that mida, actually of of that kind of searing self-examination and honesty is considered to be the mark of a true Torah scholar that you ask questions and you, and you are willing to hear other sides of it. And that is like this healthy atmosphere of, of growth. And mm-hmm. it, and it reflects a true soul felt desire to know Hashem and to come as close yeah. to Hashem as possible. You know, and, that's even alluded in the, the, um, the the physical description of the Torah as it was given to Moshe Rabbeinu that it was written on two sapphires through and through, and so to read the Torah even though it was written on in ten sayings, it contained all of the Torah, and so to to read the Torah in that form of a crystal, you turn it over and over, over and over to to read it, and you turn it sideways, and and literally this is how you. This is the best kind of study is to turn a question over and over and look at it from every side, the way you look at the Torah from every side. That's, that's what true Torah 
study is all about. Yeah. And um, it is, a, is a, an amazing experience. There's, isn't there a, a story uh, from the sages of how there was a, they actually named the Torah scholar and he had one student that he considered really troublesome because he would he would give these lessons and all of the students would were glowing with the the response and he had this one student that always gave him a hard time and would keep digging in but but rabbi why does this happen and why would this happen and it it drove him to frustration and then one day he he learned that student had passed away and his classes lost their dynamic aspect they, they he he realized how rich the classes were because of that one student that wouldn't let him go, that that wouldn't let him go by the corner of his garment, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And said, you know, take me with you on this journey because, you know, I'm not going to let you go until you you bless me with these 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 answers. So, so we encourage everyone to we encourage everyone to ask questions. Amen. I, I want to actually. Um, turn to our listeners and say a few things at this point. First of all, I want to wish everyone the continuation of a beautiful, beautiful, fulfilling Chag Sukkot, best Sukkot ever, as a prelude to the best, most blessed, most wondrous, most amazing, healthy, safe, joyous year ever in human history. That's Mm -hmm. the year that we're about to have now. Amen. And give me an amen. And I also want to remind everyone, don't forget, sit up a little bit. Hoshana Rabba night and um, give it your best to um, bring it all home and say to Hashem, I want to be with you all year round. I want, I want to be with you in a way like I've never been with you before. And Jim, your sukkah is amazing in Northwest Arkansas. Your, your whole approach to Sukkot has just been so amazing to so many people. And I also want to turn now to many of our listeners and say, I'm so moved and, um, Excited, proud of you, and appreciative of the Sukkot that you've built and of your tremendous love for Hashem. And um, I'm just really just so grateful to, to know so many of you personally. And also want to take this opportunity to remind everyone about our Zoom classes that we traditionally have every Sunday, but the past couple of weeks because of the Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur schedule, we, we haven't. So we started again this week on Tuesday, but... Um, those that would like to join us, um, just just write to rabbi at rabbirichin.com for the information for the, uh, to be advised of the Zoom IDs and login. And we've been having a blast. And uh, Jim, let's bless everyone that this year should be should be uh, an amazing, amazing light and loved and peace filled year for the whole world. From your mouth to God's ears. Amen. Hug Sameach. Hug Sameach. And hug Sameach. And hug Sameach.